0: I actually really do get scared of a whole generation. They won't own homes. I mean, that's very scary. It's actually terrifying because I want people to have buy-in into this country. I think that real estate being a store of value, the way that it is today is very unhealthy. We know without a doubt that the the way to have a good citizen, a responsible person is to have them own a home. They, they're more likely to start families. They're more likely to get involved with their school system, with their soccer leagues, they're more likely to take care of their house.
1: There's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you could be one of these, like anons on the internet. that's like sell everything and buy Bitcoin. And it's just like, yeah, get on zero crowd. How's it going right now? If you're having to spend your Bitcoin. That's why I think it's very important to take a rational approach, get a little bit of both because people need to aim to own a home. They need to have ownership of something.
2: What we need to do, I think, in order to move the ball forward is empower Bitcoiners who have all this wealth stored in Bitcoin mm-hmm. to acquire real estate. Yes. Right now, if you're a Bitcoiner and you're just you're sitting on a bunch of coins and let's say like you're this early retiree, OG status mm-hmm. Bitcoiner, mm-hmm. You don't have actually a credit profile, traditional credit profile, in most cases, where you can go to a bank uh, or a mortgage lender yep. and get a get approved for a loan yep. relative to your wealth. You can probably get some mortgage, but like most traditional banks, don't even look at Bitcoin as an as an asset on your balance sheet. Yep. So I think that the key thing and, and the kind of the phrase I've been using is uh, Bitcoin is your credit worthiness, mm-hmm. right? Not your FICO score. It's like the fact: Are you willing to put Bitcoin up as collateral? Cool. You can have much beyond as you want for all all I care. Like, I think, I know, like there's, there's solutions already that are lending against Bitcoin. I get that. Um, but I think real estate is a, is a different, um, thing to try to, to solve because frankly, there's just so many regulations around it. And so I think we have to create a product that someone is willing to basically cross collateralize a, a piece of real estate with Bitcoin. So that if you default, you're, you're basically putting both up as collateral. Yep. Uh, but it very much serves as a way to transition into this new reality where we no longer have to rely on FICO. Your FICO yep. score doesn't matter. Yep. Because it's the, the proof of work is in the fact that you have Bitcoin. Right. Yes. And that's more valuable to me than looking at your W2. What does your W2 show me? What is your your pay It doesn't even really tell me your future potential of, of uh, paying on time. Right. That's an old antiquated way of thinking about things. Right. Whereas now, if you hold Bitcoin, if you're a Bitcoiner, that tells me basically, as a, as a creditor, I would yep. say, it tells me all I need to know yep. about your credit worthiness. So like in lending, one of the hardest uh, financial profiles to lend to are uh, uh, self-employed people, yep. people who have their own businesses yep. because they can't cleanly document a ste- steady source of income and because they're actually incentivized to report as little income as possible in yep. their tax returns. Yep. So they kind of shoot themselves in the yep. foot yep. when it goes to lending, right? And so um, the same is true of anybody who is not W-2 employed. Is it's really hard to establish a proof of here's how much money I make. Therefore, here's what I can afford. Yeah. So when Bitcoin becomes your credit worthiness, the entire game changes. And that's the other thing too right now is it's like, why is it that you can uh, qualify to rent a house where your monthly payment is going to be $3,000 a month? But you can't take that same financial profile and go get a mortgage, a mortgage where your payment's gonna be $3,000 a month. doesn't make any sense. Yep. So there's no sense of fairness or consistency or anything like that with the current model. Whereas with Bitcoin, it's just very, very simple. Yep. Put up your Bitcoin and I'll give you a percentage. Of-
3: I think it's helpful for people to understand that most mortgages in the US, and the reason why we have mortgage rates that are really low, it's because those loans essentially go to Fannie and Freddie, right? These quasi-government entities that were created to um, promote home ownership, right? Promote primary ownership in this country, right? The American dream, right? That everybody has a has a right to own a home in this country and, and if not own multiple homes. And um, so it starts with that. And in order for this to be scalable, where $2 trillion of mortgages get originated a year, they've gotta to conform to some type of um, standard, right? It's gotta be fairly consistent. You've gotta have this sort of like pass or fail methodology so that originators can go out and do loans. and. Customization and bespoke structures don't really work well. Um, so that means that a significant portion of people who want to buy homes, who are financially qualified to do so, but can't document things in that way, are immediately disqualified. People that have crypto wealth are generating income through DeFi and through you know, investing and staking. That doesn't really document too well right that's not something that you're going to be able to go and say here I'm going to get a really nice w2 or a great 1099 to be able to sort of prove this and, and and file my taxes and you know many individuals have tried but it's very hard to sort of build that financial picture that's required to get a conventional loan what a lot of people don't necessarily understand about crypto consumers and I think people who who don't have crypto or who don't own, own their crypto they don't understand like what does it mean to actually own it right and the the, the factor of and what I mean by that is you know, most of the individuals that we've worked with, they didn't buy Bitcoin six months ago. They probably bought Bitcoin six years ago, right? So they've gone through these ebbs and flows of, you know, peaks and valleys and, and sort of price. And, and, and it's a very emotional transaction, right? It's, it's emotional because they want to continue to own it, right? They have this thesis that it's going to be worth significantly more in the future. And this element of being able to give them that optionality to basically buy that home today is incredibly important. Um, and alternatively, they they would have to make a very difficult choice, right? Sell something that now has essentially become an extension of your own identity, right? Of who you are as a person, because you bought Bitcoin, it's become your network, right? Like you've associated with people, like you're you're on forums, you're following, you're reading, right? You're, you're getting educated, um, and then you would have to give that up just to buy a home. It's something that a lot of people you know wouldn't necessarily do. Um, so I think that um, I found out that this is a much more sort of engaging relationship with these consumers and the trust factor of them, sort of. Um, pledging it with us, um, it's something that you know I personally view as a very, very big responsibility because of how long they've they've held this crypto. So um, I think it's 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 a fundamentally different transaction than just a straight up mortgage, right? You know, we're we're there, we're 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 aligned. Like we're all trying to basically make sure that that this turns out to be a good transaction for I bought this home a year ago. I had to sell some Bitcoin. I really had no choice. Um, and now this is an option for them to take some of that cash out. You know, hopefully, they sold Bitcoin at you know fifty thousand, and now they can go back out and say, "Here, I, I'd like to sort of cash out, and I'd like to basically you know either invest or buy more property, or you know or buy more Bitcoin, or buy back." Um. So, so we're seeing this as a, as a use case. This is something that, as we were going through the process, people were asking us for this, um, just like the the forty percent down stablecoin product, because there are so many consumers that we found that were saying, "We're we're living in this digital world. We we don't really earn dollars. We don't really do this. All of it is tied up here." Um, it's going to be really hard for me to, you know, reverse document all of this for the last few years. Um, could you come up with something like this? And 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 we did. And I think the direction that we're going into is getting away from that sort of one to one. And what else can we come up with? So we accept a lot less, and then this starts to feel more like a conventional product. And then the element of branching out and then doing primary home loans for more people, and then sort of just continuing to to see how do we how do we serve more and more consumers over time. But making sure that we're doing it in a compliant manner um, because we have a responsibility to sort of this category that if we do things right, then I think it'll grow and more people will come into the space. And if we get tripped up, then, you know, people will say, well, you know, there was a reason for that because it was crypto and, and, and I really don't want that to happen.
0: At the end of the day, what is money used for? It's used to make our lifestyle better. I mean, yeah, sure. You can talk about your 40-year retirement plan, and that's great. Yeah, and that's how I view Bitcoin. Bitcoin is my savings and my retirement, um, and, and I'll always be thankful to have that. But truthfully, does that help my lifestyle right now? It, it really doesn't. It, it It helps in no way. And so the value of cash-flowing assets in any industry or realm is that you're making your money is literally making you money. And you have that ability to uh, go on that extra vacation, you know, get your kid, uh, 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 whatever they want, you know, an ATV. I don't want to live my best life at 70. I want to live a life right now. And so I don't think that there's anything besides a, a major inheritance that comes close to cash flowing assets. Don't discount it at all.
4: I can't live off of uh, equity, right? We call it lazy equity, right? So if I'm not getting cash flow from it, it's somewhat, somewhat useless to me, right? It's all, it's all paper wealth. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, three, four months ago when Bitcoin was trading at sixty-seven thousand dollars, right? We're like, ah, I'm Bitcoin rich, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really count until you cash it out. So, cash flow is one of those things that I can count on now, and I can count on it today. Um, and in the world of commercial real estate, like a non-cash loan property is worth nothing right because mm-hmm. the whole entire thing is valued off of net operating income and cap rate
0: yep
4: so um you know i guess it's a little bit different if you have the cash and you can you know tie it up and uh it, you know own the asset outright and there's no debt on it but i don't know why you would ever do that you know like especially when the dollar's depreciating at nine percent per year And you're tying up all this cash, and there's still pretty cheap debt out there that you can get and get levered up in order to actually generate cash flow and and net long term, you know, build your money and your wealth even more.
1: First thing I'm doing, which, you know, some hardcore Bitcoiners will disagree, is I'm buying some real estate assets. So if I'm ever not here, my wife has some money coming in to help pay bills. But what I do is, As soon as I get that cash flow coming in, because it's above and beyond right now, I purchase more Bitcoin with it because I understand, you know, Bitcoin's pristine collateral. Down the road, I want to have as much Bitcoin as possible when it's 500000 a million and use it and leverage it to get loans at a lower rate because I'm less of a risk factor than a normal borrower. So that's one component. Um, And ultimately, like I I mentioned to you in the tweets before we did this, I am not an underwriter. I do not care to be an underwriter. I don't want to be an expert at Excel. And that's what makes real estate very powerful is you build a team of people and you can get a lot more done. So in my in my approach, I'm, you know, 20, 30 percent real estate. The rest I save in Bitcoin long term because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner, I know how to scale businesses, I know how to take down real estate deals with my team and I want to have bitcoin to leverage in the future for more businesses and creating cash flow. The ultimate goal I have is I want to do everything I can in dollars to replace the bills I have monthly. So let's just say I have 5000 in bills monthly and right now, you know, cash flowing wise from my real estate, let's say I'm making 1500 a month. There's a $3500 gap. I don't want to just go all in on real estate and try to fill that gap, I must, you know, end up with more Bitcoin each day as we love to do dollar cost average weekly, monthly, however you're buying it. I view it like that. And I think the wise thing that a lot of people don't really take into consideration is this team component. You know, you don't have to put your own money into real estate deals. There's something called OPM, other people's money, where if you're a hustler, you're going to put in the sweat equity. There's a ton of people on the sidelines with a shit ton of money like these real estate syndication deals they'll send an email blast out that says hey we're going to get you 7% cash on cash return, 18% IRR and an equity multiple of 2 meaning we're going to double your money across the 5 years. So these things fill up in 10 minutes. Like you're 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 going to get beat like as far as allocating money there. So if you can bring the sweat equity and work hard and have a capital partner, you can actually earn cash flow which Immediately, if you put it into Strike or use SWAN, it is SATS flow. So you actually do not have to just use your W 2 income. There's very creative ways to approach it.
0: If someone doesn't own anything that cash okay. flows, they only own things that appreciate, what would you tell them?
4: Uh, I would tell them to find a syndicator, a group where they can actually deploy capital as a passive investor and start getting access and exposure to passive cash flow investments, as well as the tax benefits that come along with owning real estate.
1: In my last marketing agency, I had a guy who flew drones for a living and he recorded real estate. And I was like, dude, this isn't all you do. You don't make a ton of money. And he said, Bobby, I'm in syndications, which is real estate syndications, taking down large deals, economies of scale, way bigger returns, government tax incentives. That's how you basically pay zero taxes as you reinvest into the infrastructure of America, which is apartment complexes and larger buildings. <clears throat> so instead of buying an apartment for 200K, you buy... 50 plus of them, 100 of them, and they're like 50, 75,000 a door. And whenever he said that, it clicked. And then two to three months later, um, I had a big um, portfolio of about 500 million in real estate come through, and this organization had me manage the marketing for about 14 apartment complexes. They were underperforming, you know, 80% filled with tenants, get them up to 90 plus percent, 93. And I just learned everything about that. And I started getting into single family because I was just like, hey, I can buy a home, make it a rental. And, um, you know, you might cash flow a few hundred bucks a month, but if you get into larger deals, there's tax incentives where you can write off all the earnings like you're not taxed on what you're making. And there's a lot less headache like there's passive and active investing, just like active managers trade stocks. Passive ETFs allow you to have diversification without having to manage it yourself. So this is really what the richest people in the world do. Like if you look at the top of the Forbes list, tech billionaires, oil companies, CEOs, and at the bottom, real estate moguls.
4: The entire capitalistic society that we live in was set up to encourage people to create jobs and encourage people to create housing. And if you want the maximum benefit of the tax code, then do those two things create jobs and create housing for people. And if you can be in a business that creates housing for people and simultaneously creates jobs, then you can literally live in a completely tax-free world and never ever pay taxes ever again. Um, so I think you know there has to be a real impetus and desire to go, say, hey, I wanna make that my business. Do I, do I wanna be in the business of real estate investing or do I like the idea of investing in real estate? Uh, those are two totally different things. One's a career yeah. path and, and one's a, an investment strategy probably should be a passive investor. If you uh, don't want to actually go do the work and be the operator. I generally love the game, the hustle, putting the deal together, raising the money, talking to brokers, calling on owners and doing all that. That's, that is the game to me. So, Yep.
1: And one of the big things I notice in just the Bitcoin circle is when people talk real estate, they always only talk about residential. And you know, Bitcoiners love to say there's nuance to this and that, but they always love to leave out the nuance of the real estate side. And what's interesting is residential real estate, it operates on comps, meaning you load Zillow, you look at what sold this last week, that's how you're going to likely sell your home is in that realm. And we saw Zillow have a blow up you know, they bought a ton of real estate, try to pump the prices up, and then they got left holding the bag. That's the downside of residential, Where where commercial is unique and valuable. And why I focus on commercial and why I want to hold everyone's attention here today is commercial real estate. When you're over four units, when you're at five plus, you're now operating on NOI, which is net operating income. So if you can buy, let's say a five plex and let's say each door is 150 grand, right? You're in for $750,000. If you can find ways to add value and improve the living experience and increase the rents, your property is now worth more because it's operating on a net operating income. It's not based on comps. So what's really unique about this and why it's valuable is um, whenever the uh, real estate crash happened, you know, and. 0809 when it when we had the financial crisis, it was due to <clears throat> bad loans. It was due to people their the equity in their home was worth far less, and the banks would even close these loans out if people were making payments. So yes, there's inherent risk there, and we're not here to talk about how you can make residential successful. You can go to bigger pockets and learn all about that. But where I find value for Bitcoiners who are quote unquote real estate averse or risk averse, I think commercial real estate offers a very compelling investment thesis is because of the net operating income component, because it's a business, it's an actual business. And a couple of quick facts I want to mention before we dive into deeper questions are, you know, majority of the apartments in America were built in the seventies and eighties. And if we don't repair them, there's going to be a massive shortage. So that's why you see these, it's called value add investing in the multifamily space, Um, so that's one big component. The other thing is there's a shortage of over 10 million homes. COVID caused a slowdown in home builds and we have a massive shortage of homes by about 10 million. And we know most apartment complexes, they're going to dilapidate and fall apart unless we fix them. And we have the biggest cohort of home buyers ever, uh, which is our millennial generation. When
4: you invest in a larger commercial project, though you don't own it outright right, you're getting access to a bigger, larger, more scalable investment that's theoretically safer. And you can get the same, if not better returns than you ever could by investing on your own, right? Mm -hmm. You know, $50,000 invested in a $30 million project is probably uh, gonna get you access to a better asset than taking that same $50,000 and putting it in a $250,000 asset, right? Mm -hmm. So there's pros and cons to all of that, but um, coming from the world of trading futures and commodities, I'm always thinking about things in terms of risk. Um, In the world of futures, it's highly, highly leveraged. So unlike stocks or even Bitcoin, where if I put $100,000 in, the maximum amount of money I can lose is $100,000. When it comes to trading commodities, your leverage is sometimes 10X, right? I can take $10,000 and I can lever up to buy $100,000 crude oil contract. And if that thing goes negative 40, like it did, um, last year, then I could be losing a hundred thousand dollars overnight. And I've seen it happen multiple, multiple times, but my mentor told me, you know, you're going to lose a lot more than you're going to win. So you should always be controlling your downside because your winners will be 10 X, what your losers are. And so scale in a larger deal gives you uh, better risk mitigation Because like a large commercial apartment complex, you can have 20 units vacant and still break even. Mm -hmm. I have one singular property that I own outright because it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy and it goes vacant. It's a hundred percent vacant and I have no cash flow. and the Mm -hmm. debt, it's coming out of my pocket, right? So larger commercial involves uh, commercial banks, non-recourse debt. And so the bank is you're gonna make sure that that asset will sustain any kind of downturn, in most cases, right? The the default rate on large commercial multifamily in two thousand and eight was zero point zero four percent. So less than one percent of those loans went into default. Why? Because cash flow is king.
5: I like rentals also because um, because they are a commodity, which is a much better determination of like how much people value it. Um, there is like an upper bound where like rent can only be a certain percentage of income that people have. So there is obviously like lots of other inflation or other things going with it. But like at the end of the day, people are going to spend in rent like a certain percentage of what it is that they are making, um, and they are going to differentiate between one thing over another thing in apartments based on how much they value it. So for something that's going to be how close that is to like their work, their kids' school, all that other stuff, like how close that is to other those other points, and it also has to do with the makeup of that space itself. And that is something that is not done. Um, and again, I think there are lots of different examples. Zestimate is a perfect example because their model, because they don't measure it, cannot tell the difference between like pretty or ugly, right? Like they just, or, or some of it is too difficult. Like, I don't even know how you would do that, like in an algorithm. So I understand why they punt on it. So their algorithm is going to be some like range of square footage is an and say like, it'll be some probability that it's between $380 and $420 a square foot. Fine. That's the best, like, approximation. You do. But to me, the journey that I want to be on is, like, find out how to take space, turn it into things that are a little bit better to give tools to people and for tenants to understand pricing better so that you can then design the things um, in ways that people want to use more and rather buy some different, like, biases, because it turns it even more into a commodity, right? Like um, if everyone builds the same floor plan and the same particular unit type, uh, uh, then the only thing we differentiate on is like who has the most up-to-date amenities and who has the nicest finish. So either you have to be the most beautiful apartment in the world forever, and the coolest, or, which isn't possible, you're gonna keep being on that rat race of like fighting forever. So, or I guess the other thing you can differentiate on is price. So you can be priced lower, you can be cooler forever, or you're gonna need to keep upgrading. and. that doesn't seem like a purchasing good, like business strategy to me where, where the reason why it happens though, is because different sort of developers, or again, the way that things work is someone says like, I'm going to build, I'm going to hold it for a period of time and I'm going to sell. Right. So there you all need to time things by like three to five years. Um I, There are people who are more sophisticated Um and it's, and, and, and I guess maybe so again I I'm pretty, um, Unfamiliar with Bitcoin, but I would say the people who make the best real estate decisions are the people who make decisions like with their own capital, with like long-term hold like in mind. Someone says, like, I'm going to build this. I want to own this forever. I mean, some of that is just uh common sense, like you're gonna build the highest quality house if you do it for yourself. Same thing for like an asset. You're worried less about cash flow today. You're more of like, I just want to build it, I don't want to worry about it, I want to be good and I want to make money forever. I like the, I like the location, et cetera. So that is always gonna be the people who make the best decisions in business certainly within real estate um and they're usually a little more thoughtful in terms of um what they're going to build in the long term but it does make it very difficult to do uh it's still difficult to do in predicting floor plans and population flows and you know on top of cap rates so um uh, but at a minimum at a minimum i think people need to think like at least further ahead and also a little bit more with like a product oriented experience which is um almost entirely lacking in real estate okay, so i mean if you look at your area um and all the houses look the same it's mainly because the zoning is a code someone figures out the highest and best use to do that one and then everyone does the exact same thing um so um that's what happens that's what happens to real estate so like and also um real estate similar to maybe some of the other things you mentioned especially new development um because decisions made now um are not manifested until many years down the road it makes it even more difficult to like do them in collaboration with other people so um things like um Uh, There are lots of areas, uh, you know, there's the opportunities on tax credit, right? Which you might be familiar with, some of it, right? So um, that basically means like there is an area that's disinvested. Let's put significant capital and give significant tax breaks. We would do that, right? So everyone looks at the same set of data. So a lot of people are rushing to build basically new things here before the area is, before we know what it is. Because that happens, they're all responding to the same data now. And I know this because I studied these plans. They're all building the exact same unit type. So to me, like I look and say, like, well, I've rolled forward five years. You're now going to have a city full of all of the same unit types, and again, they're all designed in a product-oriented manner, which you know, I'm, I, it's towards a single demographic, which, um, no problem against a demographic, but I do have a, I do have like just like an investment problem with like, not everyone should build the same thing. It's just not a good long, not a good long-term thing to do.
4: Anytime you're taking on something that's older than 1980, there's a whole new slew of risks involved, like aluminum wiring, aluminum and lead pipes, asbestos, uh, lead-based paint, right? So those are things that are just added costs that require you to do more if you're going to actually really renovate the property. But on average, we lose about 100,000 units from the supply, at least in multifamily, every single year just due to age and obsolescence. They just phase Mm -hmm. out of the market, which means we need to build about 4.6 million net new units by 2030. And we can only build you know, about 300,000 units per year. So we'll be about 1.6 million units short by 2030. And then you factor in other things like inflation, the cost of building has gone up substantially. This over obsession with ESG that municipalities have now grasped on, grasped onto. So they're throwing in things like utility benchmarking and unrealistic They're adding unrealistic costs to projects that make it impossible to actually be able to um, build something that's gives you an actual return on investment. Like nobody's going to do it if they can't make money on the deal.
0: Since I've been a realtor, I've always noticed that there is this huge niche that's not being taken care of. And that is, it's twofold one, all these people want to buy, but they have a house to sell, but if you've ever sold a house, you know, that it's difficult to sell and buy, because when you go to buy, you have that contingency to sell and nobody wants to accept that contingency. So what do you do? You're stuck or you have to make so much money and have so little debt that you can hold two mortgages at the same time. And let's be real, that's not reasonable for most people. So I came to her and I said, look, we can hit this market and the same market of people moving here, but a lot of people move to new, new cities and they don't really know where to live yet, but they don't wanna sign a year lease. And so where do they go? So we decided we were going to do that. So my wife, uh, she's an architect, and interior designer. She said, Hey, how about we furnish it? So we, we don't have to worry about our, our place getting messed up and we'll just put it on Airbnb. And I said, that's great. So that's what we did. Um, and the returns that we got, i mean, my, my mortgage was 1700, 1600, somewhere around there, you add in all the utilities cause you want everything in your name. So you're pushing around 2100. I was charging anywhere from five to six and a half grand a month. And the the way that I would do it was, um, and the reason Airbnb is such a critical component to all this is not only because they have all the people, but they give you such flexibility in one simple thing. You'd never think about it. Naming the title of your listing. Now, if you go anywhere else, Zillow or any of the other big dogs, you can't name it. It's just three bedroom, two bath, 1,100 square feet, five grand. Nobody clicks on it. But on Airbnb, you can go, need a monthly rental, question mark, we've got you covered. And that was just the bread and butter. And what I think people are missing with Airbnb is that they fundamentally think about it the wrong way. You're not getting into real estate. You're getting into customer service and trying to find a niche that uh, that is not being hit. And trust me, there's niches everywhere. Let's say you had a 3,500-square-foot house. You can rent that out for corporate retreats, I, especially if you're in a big city. So that's one of the things I'm trying to do right now. There's corporate retreats. There's men groups. I mean, you could literally have, um, I mean, we could just make some stuff up right now. I mean, could you appeal to a yoga person? Could you appeal to the spiritual community? Could you, uh, you know, me and my, my wife is a plant fanatic. I mean, when we, when we got to go to Florida, we went to a rare plant shop and she got all these rare plants. I mean, you could have... Uh, you could name your rental a, you know, rare plant uh, enthusiast heaven, you know, just something you know, like obviously that name is bad, but like you get what I'm saying, let the creativity flow and pretend you're a business owner, you know, because you that's what you're going to become. And just view this Airbnb, view this house as purely a business. Don't even think about it as real estate. It is a business now. And the number one component is providing good customer service. So always remember that when you're getting into Airbnbs land is a completely different beast than a single-family home and the reason why is single-family homes banks love to lend on them i mean they just love it right um land is a completely different ball game because banks don't want to value it they don't know they oh okay the soil the slope the weather the trees does it have invasive you know it's just too much so raw land is exactly that raw it has nothing it has no septic no well no road nothing with raw land you really just have to have a goal and know what you want and you know i think the biggest misconceptions that i personally see with raw land is people have this idea and i don't know where it came from but they have this idea that they just go buy raw land somewhere there'll be no rules that you just do whatever you want and that is just not true. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rules. It's way less rules than living in any city. But, you know, there's these things called CC&Rs, you know, and you still have to follow some semblance of rules. And you can't just build a house willy-nilly. You need to have the proper permitting from the county. You need to know if you can dig a well, you need to know if you can put a septic. So don't uh, don't think you're Rambo and you can just go buy some raw land and do whatever you want. There's still county rules. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways too. Your county is the people that you go to. So when you're doing your own research for, for let's not even say raw land, Let, let's say it's some farmland or let's say it, it does have a little mini house on it. You're gonna wanna always go to your county planning and zoning you're going to want to go to your county assessors these are the people you need to talk to Um, but here's some things to be concerned about for Bitcoiners specifically one is if you're going to a typical lender um, that does land farm ranch um, they don't they don't like bitcoin they could care less and so for example i own my primary home right now and if i want to go get uh, 40 acres They would say, hey, we need six months liquid supply of your mortgage times six, right? Well, that's not a problem because I have it in Bitcoin. Well, they don't care about the Bitcoin. They'll take a 401k, which is very interesting because that's not liquid, but we don't have to get into the the BS of all that. But just know that, um, that if you're looking to buy land specifically... Um, you're going to want to want some cash reserves or your, 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 you know, what do we call legacy assets, um, for them to count, get pre-approved. I say this all the time to anybody I work with get pre-approved. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no downside. And I've seen so many people be fearful of getting it pre-approved. And then this stellar piece of land hits the market and now they're working backwards and they can't even move forward. So just get pre-approved. Like right now, I, I doubt I'm going to buy another piece of land, but I'm pre-approved for land. I have a HELOC and I have you know potential collateral to pull from my Bitcoin. I don't think there's any wrong, anything wrong with having these options available to you.
1: Now, I'm finally building systems and processes and businesses where I don't have to do the day-to-day. That's giving myself a job. I am trying to run companies. I'm trying to run organizations. I'm trying to build teams and systems that create the outcome for my life. And I think that's a point where we need more Bitcoiners to talk about that. Like I really respect um, Corey Clifstein from uh, Swan because he's scaled many businesses like he knows how to do it. And I think guys like him and people like you, people like me, we need to talk more about how to run a business, how to get started, like what we can do, because we do need assets and businesses in the hands of Bitcoiners because. It's a different way of thinking. you know. It's like a paradigm shift. There's the old world that's still operating, but we're building a new world and a new way to operate, and we need more people doing that to be the example to the world on what's coming.
0: Hey all, this is Brian. You can reach me on Twitter at Brain Harrington. Shoot me a DM with any feedback from today's episode. This has been a choice app production. Bitcoin is becoming centric to personal finance and we want to help you learn how to better engage with Bitcoin financial services. None of this is financial advice and is for education and entertainment only.